0: What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining. Another special episode of You're Welcome. I gotta tell you, we're going all over the board. We even put a special out on Wednesday of this week, almost an emergency podcast, if you will. It's still there in the archives if you'd like to see it. If you haven't already, where highly discussed MMA judge Douglas Crosby came out and did a rare interview. Guys, I think I'm going to blow past that. Since you've seen the whole interview and it's out there, I guess I wanted to tell you because it's making headlines, but I want to move on to a little bit of a recap of 2022 and maybe even a preview of what to expect in 2023. Article came out today and it was talking about how many times a championship changed hands in the UFC in 2022, and it was nine. It was the third most of all time, if I'm recalling the article right. But it was an interesting piece, because I've never seen a year like this, and I'm completely fascinated by it. If 2022, Dana White got a meeting with 2011 Dana White. 2011 Dana White kicks him out. Kicks him out and tells him not to come back. It was a very different way of doing things. And I got to tell you, as a viewer, it was refreshing. I love 22. I love the people that were given opportunities to fight for belts. I love that the champs came in and put the straps up as many times as they did. Now, if you can stay with me on this, let's back up to something called UFC 1 in Mobile, Alabama, 1993. Young man, 178 pounds, wearing what people referred to as a bathrobe, named Hoist Gracie. Opened the eyes of the world. Things changed. My life changed. You believe that? What a statement. The way I was treated in school walking the hallways was different when Hoyce Gracie showed people that grappling is effective. Okay. Now, let's fast forward. And as we fast forward, we get into something called the super fight. And the first ever was Ken Shamrock Versus Hoist Gracie. Is that accurate? Was it Kin versus Hoist was first? Or was it Ken versus seven? But it was the super fight. Now, they're going to do the tournament. But now you've got this super fight. And basically what that entailed is two guys that you know when you're familiar with are going to fight each other. Whereas up until that moment, the guys would get into the cage. And that's where you would become familiar with them. You knew nothing about them. You hadn't seen them compete before. You didn't have a frame of reference for what they were even going to attempt to do. And that was working. That was getting people's attention. But you see we're bringing two guys that the world knows and putting them together is a much bigger deal. Let me tie that in with 1988 and it was called Saturday Night's Main Event. Now, all Vince McMahon would do on Saturday Night's Main Event, all wrestling that was on TV was known as a squash match, all of it. You had a guy that they would clearly represent as the bigger star, whether you'd ever seen him before or not. It would be very clear, this is the guy. And then you would have what was known as a jobber. There's a guy that you weren't familiar with, and his job, as he was being a jobber, was to put the other guy over. But that's all you would get on TV. All the way up to what your feature match was. It was squash matches where one guy comes out and crushes the other guy. Saturday night's main event was different. You'd take two guys that have been squashing and you'd put them together. So you'd have five matches. But we all, as the audience, knew who both guys were. It was a treat. They did huge ratings. Arenas were sold out. You guys understand that. I'm telling you some things that seem obvious, but we weren't able to do that with an MMA. As a matter of fact, the closest we had to those two worlds colliding is prior to Fox picking up the UFC, Vince McMahon was a suitor for the UFC. And he was going to buy it and shut it down, so the rumor goes. Now Vince's son, and again, this is the way the story goes, Vince's son Shane loved MMA. He said, no dad, this is great. We're going to keep him, we're going to build him, I'm going to do it for you. And Vince told his son, you cannot create a star Unless you can determine the outcome. And based on everything Vince had done, that was true. The guy couldn't just get over with the audience. You had to build it. There was a way to do it. And I bring this to you because the tournaments were truly the great days. The tournaments used to be done, eight-man tournaments, three fights in one night. Three victories in one night to win it. Now, the guys got too good. The fights got too damaging. They got too long. You used, to used to have a fight, you're fit three guys in one night, but you could be out there a total of six minutes. would be very common. Once those matches got longer, the guy can't do it. The human body can't just keep walking out there. So we do away with the tournaments, but let's keep that in mind. Let's still keep that idea because it took all the politics out of it. It's one way that Hoyce Gracie was truly able to establish and prove his point of the effectiveness of his family's jiu-jitsu. Took on all comers. There was no choosing. There was no picking. Even if you had some picking and choosing, which didn't happen. Even if you had it, you don't know who else is going to win. You don't know who you're going to advance to. And once you get by that, you don't know who you're going to have an hour later. It's, It's one of these situations where the skills were forced to live and die on their own. And that's awesome. That's what we know of sport, guys. That's what Olympics is. That's what the NCAA is. That's what the playoffs is for the NFL. Have more points than the other guy when time runs out. Move to the next round. Cream rises to the top. You see where that's hard to do in our sport? It's just hard to do. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of maneuvering. You guys create it. You guys decide who you want to see, who you want to see the most. Who you're willing to part with your money and your time. And that guy moves up the card. Generally, they work hand in hand. Generally, the more popular fighter is also the better fighter. Generally. But I share this with you because I would love to see a tournament. I would just love it. I did an interview with Layla Ali, and she was not brash or arrogant in the least. As a matter of fact, she said her biggest regret, she was a champion. She's the world champion, and she was undefeated, and she was the one that told me, well, I thought I was. From sparring and training and, and going around, we got a pretty tight community, I think I was the best in the world. But it's, it's hard for me to really know that. I wish that I would have gone through the Olympic Games. Because the Olympic Games is a tournament format. It's the only way. And she wouldn't even further talk about being humble. She talked about a fight in her career and how hard she trained. She would tell me about these sprints that she had to do. And she said they, they, they brought in a girl that was a bar fighter. I wasn't familiar with that term. Well, it meant just what you might think. The girl was kind of a tough girl at the local bar. Put it in there with Layla. Put it on TV. They do this whole fancy thing, and Layla knows the truth. And I share that with you because the tournament really is awesome. I'm not sure who the best guys in the world are. I know who the champions are. So do you. We got a ranking system to turn to. But boy, we have we have seen our own system of determining champions and determining rankings. We have seen that flawed to the max. You can look early on in the sport or within divisions, and you'll shake your head and go, "You got to be kidding me! They were champion of the world." Nobody did anything wrong. You're guessing, you're taking opinion, you're building, everything was fine. But that's where I come back to the tournament. You want to talk about the belt has changed hands nine times throughout the organization. I mean, that's damn near one a month. That's interesting to me. And I'm not certain that it couldn't change more. I'm not not convinced Bo Nickel can't beat Alex Piero. I use that one simple example. I'm not certain he can but I'm not certain that he can't, right? A guy who's literally never fought in the organization. I'm having a conversation with man, I think, he, I think he won a world championship. I could be wrong, but I'd set my time aside and, you know, I'd, I'd bet you snacks. And it's one of these situations, but I think that you can keep on playing that game. I think some of the people that are champion, you wouldn't have predicted would be it because you wouldn't have predicted they could even get the opportunity. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. If we are, in fact, in a different time right now, where this is not as star and story driven as it once was. All right, we, we took some of our biggest stars and put them on ice. And Gano says, I don't want to fight. He deals with the knee injury. Hey, we want you to get better. Let's, let's talk that out. But business stayed good even without your heavyweight champion. John Jones, tremendous talent, world champion, gave the belt back. I realize this is a little bit more history than just this year, but you, you understand my point. He stayed on the sidelines and we're still... Doing business. The Live Gate is a tremendous focus group. Tremendous. You will never have an event where the Live Gate is not sold out, but it set a record on television. Just by example, just, just as one focus group, right? You're not going to go, well, the Live Gate was a little light, but boy, the pay per views, whoo, record setting it just doesn't work that way. There's a really good focus group. It's not perfect, it's really good. The last pay-per-view, the main event goes up in flames. There's a last-minute shuffle. You end up with Uncle Iov. Uncle Iov is going to take on Lovitch. Great fight, two tough guys. I'm just talking about the anticipation and the excitement. There wasn't a lot of time to build it. It was a last-minute deal. That gate did $4.1 million. Now, to put in perspective for you, when I fought Anderson the second time, we had the record. We set the record, and I believe that was five point three. Could have been five point nine, but I'm I, I'm somewhere in this ballpark. And I'm excluding the first time to Montreal where George St. Pierre fought Jake Shields. I'm, I'm I'm removing that. It was a, a anomaly. and Anderson and I had the record. I want to be a little more technical. We were number two, but we were number two. With a million dollars more than this car did, I realize that was a different time. I'm just sharing for you. That is a fascinating metric. And if, in fact, the brand and the sport, again, that's you guys' decisions, you just love the sport so much, if you do, and we're getting a little away from it, it has to be star. Do me a favor. Let's have a tournament. I would just appreciate that. The tournaments have been turned away from, look, it's been, I got to know, I got to know who's fighting here. I can't just let them live and die on their own. A little bit of it, Vince McMahon said is true. But 2022 has been very different. it's been a real year of competition. The entertainment era wasn't as strong. And if we're doing that, if we're going to move forward with that, and we really can put damn near anybody as long as they're good in there with damn near anybody as long as they're good, let's do a tournament. Just for old Jail, just so we know. Just to Layla Ali's point. And I think it should be in all comers. How big's the bracket gonna be? Is it gonna be eight man? Is it gonna be 16 man? I think it should be in all comers, like any other tournament. If you're in the organization and you're in the weight class and you raise your hand, we try to find a way to get you in the tournament. Let's play this thing out. Let's find out who the best fighter in the world really is. I would like that, would you? What was the comeback of the year, guys? As we're winding down and we look back, what was the comeback of the year? And there's a discussion out there I think that you will probably agree. It would be either Leon Edwards landing that head kick on Kamar Usman or it would be Pierre over Adesanya coming back in that fifth round. And which was more brutal? Because I've heard people talk about this, right? I'm stealing ideas from the kids on the underground, but they were very confident that it was the head kick. I tell you what, that head kick was brutal. I mean, it put Kamara down. It was a scary moment. It's a very scary moment. Leon throws the kick, but Kamara was ducking into it. So now you have a head on collision, right? It was very powerful. It put him down, I get that from an optical standpoint. But are you forgetting? Pierre coming out and bludgeoning, right? You got one head kick. You're talking about which is more violent. You're talking about which one, if you have to go through, and which one do you want the least? You got one head kick. You go down. It was impressive. You had multiple punches. Multiple brutal punches. Izzy goes down. Izzy comes up. Izzy's eyes are rolling. I'm just saying I think that it's an open conversation. And as you're having that, and as you're thinking about that for the comeback of the year, I would come in and tell you, you're still wrong. It was Prohasco over Glover. And that is not an argument that is for sure going to win. By the way, but I just thought for how great that fight was, for how many times it looked like that fight was going to be stopped, four different guys. And then the fact that we get the mathematical equation at the end of the night, which is that Glover was 30 seconds away from remaining world champion. He did not have to beat ProHoska. He didn't have to win the round. He didn't have to win another sequence. He didn't have to win another punch. He just had to run out the clock. I thought that Prohaska should have gotten more credit. And Prohaska has me interested in him. And he did it before. I acknowledged him. And I saw the skills and I saw the heart. But as far as being interested in whether you're fighting next Saturday or you're not, does my life as a fan go on the same? Do I feel anything different? I got to tell you, I'm getting drawn to Prohaska. I really have been impressed with the way that he is handling himself. And there's not a lot of times that I go to the hall monitor side of the aisle. But there's also not a, t- a lot of times that it's not a performance. You, you guys think when I come out and tell you, you got to be a bad guy and you got to be brash and you got to do these things, that's a performance. You're not, you're not understanding. So is the nice guy routine. It's an act. It's a complete act. It's just an act that the guy is more comfortable with because he can't handle the booze. The guy that comes out for the nice guy is generally not confronted with adversity or confrontation. And in real life, financially, career-wise, physically, Prohaska has been greatly inconvenienced, right? It's everybody's nightmare. My life's going on great and something happens and it changes my life in that moment. And that happened to Prohaska and he has a great attitude. I mean, he seems like a great guy. He's driven to come back. He was talking about, I can have this thing fixed in four months. By the way, did you guys see that piece? I thought that was encouraging. When they stripped him, we weren't given much information. And you guys, for whatever weird reason, wanted to think that he vacated it. I I don't really know what that back and forth is between us. But I'm not going to change my vernacular because one is right and one's not. When they stripped him, that told me as a viewer, with no other information, but this must be pretty bad. This must be pretty bad. To not interim this belt or kick the can. Not interim it and just keep him as champion and wish him well. When we had our heavyweight champion removed since March, and if I'm wrong, since February. But it was an injury. We understand those things. Could go back to Dominic Cruz. It was an injury. It was three and a half years, but it was an injury. It wasn't by choice. It was an unfortunate situation. So when you have that spot with Hask, and I have no other evidence, right? I'm basing this on no other evidence. I'm admitting that. But I did draw the conclusion this must be pretty bad. I thought when he said I can be back in four months, I was very encouraged for him. On a human level, I was very encouraged for him. I think that was the comeback. I think that was the most impressive one. I'm not bullish on that. What Leon did to Kamara, I don't know that I've seen a fist fight and left with a good feeling. I've enjoyed it. I've had that barbaric side of me. Ah, oh, That was great. I, all of those things. But to leave with an actual good feeling, when Leon's in the ring, this isn't a millionaire that's got a limo outside to take him to his jet. It's none of those things. This is a guy with a dream whose mother was at home, who was losing a fight not in his own country. He came over to do it. He's only got his cornerman. Everybody else is there to see him lose. And he was. to a kick and captured championship of the world. I thought it was just this great moment. Watching Piera be disciplined enough to say to his cornerman, Glover Teixeira, I must finish him, and therefore I'm going to go finish him. And then walking across the ring and do it. See, that, that was a very different finish for me. Leon's was great. He gets a ton of credit. Leon threw a kick that Kamara dipped into. That's what happened. It's what dreams are made of. But that's not what happened with Piera. It was very measured. It was a very disciplined approach. He had the conversation, and then he walked him down. Walking a guy down, cutting him off, and finding your range is wildly different than being in a fight, and you're throwing hands, and one gets through, Right? It's wildly different than George Foreman catching Michael Moore. I just thought that there was something very special on that, even if that was his third time doing it. And if anything is to come of the comebacks, of the entertainment, of understanding where you stand in the industry, where your place is, who's at the top of bracket, what your responsibilities are as champion, I do feel those three new names have done a great job. Leon has not sidestepped anybody or any interviews, for that reason. matter. It was said from Jump Street, they're going to take that fight and they're going to take Leon back to England, And wouldn't, you know, in March. Everything seems to be in line. Prochaska grabbed the belt. Greatest run of his career. Got an injury, confessed it, did everything right. Had his heart broken, but held his head high. Pierre has come out and said, I don't want to fight Adesanya again. I fought him three times. I don't want to fight him. If he asks for the fight, he gave me an uh, opportunity. I'll give him back the opportunity. Like all of these things are very above board. It seems like three really good guys that understood their role and welcomed that. So many other guys will get the belt and turn the gun on you. Whether it's you, the audience, you, the pundit, you, the promotion. But sometimes you get guys in there, they're team players, that they're leaders. I think right now, man, we got some pretty good champions. Guys, it's here! Christmas week! That snuck up on us pretty fast, right? I bet some of you haven't even finished your holiday shopping, probably due to busyness. Or maybe you're in a financial pinch. Look, this time of year can be stressful, but here's where Dave can help. Dave, guys, it's a banking app that could help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. With Dave, there's no interest, no late fees, and no credit checks. That's more money to buy those last minute gifts or to catch up on bills without having to wait for your next paycheck. You can finally tackle those expenses that have been stressing you without any hangups. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get the financial relief that they need with extra cash. So if you're in a bind this season, if you need some extra help, listen to Uncle Chael and download Dave. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now or go to dave.com slash chael. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com legal, instant transfer fees apply, banking services provided by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Do it. The future you will thank you and me. I love dressing up and putting on a suit. Who doesn't like to look nice and feel confident when they step out? One thing that is a pain is finding the right dress shirt. That's always hard because most of the time, dress shirts are so stiff and they wrinkle really easy, but not Ron's commuter shirt. This shirt is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible shirt I have ever worn, and here's why. Its four-way stretch fabric provides the breathability and flexibility I need when I'm on set and I'm under the lights. Guys, I run hot, especially when I wear dress shirts. Since I have to suit up often, I've been trying to find a shirt that is a little more breathable while still maintaining a dressed up look. I found that combo in Roan. Let me tell you, this is not your grandfather's dress shirt. It's classy and sharp while yet comfortable, stretchy and wrinkle free. I didn't know we could have it all in one shirt, but Roan figured it out. This shirt is made with the Gold Fusion, an anti-odor technology that'll leave you smelling fresh and clean all day long, and Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch extra trips to the dry cleaner and cans of starch. The Commuter shirt can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to Roan.com slash Use the promo code Chaill, that's going to get you 20% off your entire order. Again, head to Rhone, R-H-O-N-E dot com slash jail. Use the promo code jail. It's time to find your corner office comfort. John Annick, guys, and I told you this before, John Annick is the bar of professionalism within our sport from the commentary booth. That is the guy. You want to get into this business, you got to find somebody to copyright like anything else. You got to have somebody that you look up to. You start studying, maybe you start dressing like him. You start kind of following him around, right? You shadow somebody. That's, that's your guy, for sure. Now, John Anik has taken on a role that I appreciate. And it's the role of accountability as it pertains to our judges. Now, when I talk about John being a professional, okay, I would not encourage somebody else to go down the road that John is going on. John had a great quip one time that they broke off and they put all over the internet Said the referee needs to pull his testicles out and make a decision. I think it was a fence grab that wasn't getting called. Said at some point you need to pull your testicles out and make a decision. Now that could have gone two ways for John. That could have gone very bad. It didn't. You guys loved it. But I'm sharing with you, that is not a vernacular by John. That was not rhetorics that you were hearing. That is a passion inside a man who is a fan And wants a fair adjudication. That's what that was. And every time John speaks up, including on his podcast or including on social media, you're not seeing a guy trying to get clicks. You're seeing a true and passionate fan. He happens to work in the industry, but that is secondary. Wants a fair adjudication. Now, John made an interesting comment. He said, it was a two-part comment. He said, first off, I have never seen a time in MMA where the judging has been so... I can't remember the last word. But it meant like inconsistent. I don't think he called him straight up bad. I don't think he called it horrific. I don't even think he called it wrong. But it was a word that that needs review. Okay, great. And then he said, I look forward to being in Vegas next year and having some conversations. I just want to explain to you guys what that means. So... And there's a lot of moving parts here, okay? Because I've also got to insert at the end of last year. I've got to insert, which you you guys saw. It was done publicly. But when Dan Hardy was announcing and disagreed with a stoppage of a fight, he wanted it sooner, He wanted the fighter protected. And again, you saw the fan come through. And it's very hard at times. Like you don't get to just say I'm a passionate fan. You just don't get to do that. You are a professional in a suit doing a job, and, say, and sometimes you got to keep those apart. Right? Tight rope. But we all understand why. And I'm only reminding you of the Hardy situation because Anik never really calls anyone out. He doesn't do it by name. He does it in a very appropriate manner. And it also comes through with a real sincerity of why he's doing it all. Now, what do you do with judging, guys? Is judging worse, more horrific, inconsistent? Is this a bad era of MMA? Has it been an interesting month? Is it just something that's more topical? And I'm just asking the question because it's very tough. Look, I can go back to this weekend. Jared Cannonier fight Sean Strickland. I watched the fight. Now, it's the same fight. Both guys are doing the same thing. This wasn't, oh, this guy's grappling heavy. This guy had cage control. You had two guys doing the exact same thing, moving around, trying to touch you, and trying not to get touched back. They both did the exact same game plan. Who did it better? You had a volume game on one side. You had a power game on another side. It was hard. It was really hard to judge. And of the three judges, you had two that had flip-flop scores. So you're talking about four rounds for Cannoneer versus one for Strickland, and another judge, four for Strickland, one for Cannoneer. So now you're not talking about a split of four. You're talking about a separation of eight. One for this guy and one for this guy. You keep doing that four times. You have a separation of eight, but is anybody wrong? No, I don't think so. I didn't think so. They're very hard to judge. I will I will tell you that I have been surprised, particularly from the level of leadership and the level of expertise where I have ha- heard certain comments over the years. It is still maintained to this day by folks who have been there from the beginning. It is maintained at times... When one fighter really really damages the other guy, he beats that guy's ass. But he did it for five minutes that he won the fight. He did way more damage, and you should look at him, right? Do you guys remember the night it was BJ Penn versus George St. Pierre Part 1? Are you guys fans from way back then? BJ came out in the first round. Oh, he looked like BJ Penn, and he was lighting him up. He started to fatigue. George used a weapon that's a little bit harder to see, which is pace. He put a pace on George won the next two rounds. It was pretty straightforward. However, George's winning of the next two rounds, so 10 minutes where he was in control, he did not do as much damage, as a matter of fact, not even close to as much damage as he had done to him in that first round that BJ won. Now it's still a 10-9 must system. It's one round for BJ. It's two rounds for George. George wins. And BJ Penn, best fighter in the world. Best fighter in the world that night. He was fighting at a different weight class. He would have been at 155. He's the best fighter in the world right then. But I'm just sharing for you. BJ argued it. And so did his corner. And they're going, my God, look at George's face. Look at ours. We won this fight. Under the pride rule system, that was a, a thing. Within one championship. Right now, that's a thing. But not under the unified rules, which are a 10-9. And we'll still hear that argued. I mean, it'll it'll still rear its head. We go, what are you talking about? Are you a newbie? Let me sit you down and explain this to you. And I can do it in 10 seconds. Like, this isn't a difficult concept. It's math. But you will still hear that argument, and and I've got to tell you, when you have two judges that are looking at a fight, like Cannoneer and Strickland, okay? Here's another one that I hear, guys. Let me throw this at you. A fight will take place, and it will be unanimous 30-27, and people will have a problem. The media will have a problem because that was a super close fight. Promoters will have a problem. Say, well, I should have been at 30-27. Fans will have a problem. That should have been a split decision. My goodness, what are you talking about? You can have an extremely close fight. I mean, absolute razor thin. There's never been a fight in history that's closer than Thug Rose, Carla Sparza Part 2. And you can call it the dullest if you want. Go go right ahead. There's a lot of adjectives you can throw up. But while you're throwing those synonyms in there, make sure you add close. No one knew who won that fight. No one had any idea how we're going to score this fight. Nobody wanted to be the judges that night. If you would have had that 50-45 Rose, fine. But if you would have had a 50-45 Carla, fine. And I bring that as an example because there are fights often that are very difficult. So when you look at Kaneda and you look at Strickland, I'll just throw myself into this. I was on a text message with Hans, right? Hans is a very smart guy. Hans never misses a fight. Hans is a fighter. Hans is a professional within the business. Hans didn't know who won. In fact, he texted me both. Strickland, split decision. No, 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 no. Cannoneer, split decision. So we had the split decision right. It was one of these things, but I was in the same boat as Hans. Like, I gave them both the the thumbs up emoji. I didn't know who won. So now you have a disparity of 4-1, 4-1. They could both be right. I know that sometimes you don't like that. I know sometimes that you don't get that, but that doesn't warrant a review. That's a great opportunity to have a discussion in the back amongst professionals. What did you see? And when that person answers the question of the combinations of the body shots that I think that you might have missed, when they, when they start to tell you, and as long as their opinion fell within the interpretation of the rules, that judge has done his job correctly. So it's one of these spots. And when Annex says, I'm going to get to Vegas and I'm going to have some conversations, The administrators are welcoming the announce team to come in and have a meeting, and they've they've held one of these powwows before, and I strongly encouraged, hey guys, don't do that, but don't do that for a number of reasons. And the number one one isn't to get a fair adjudication. The number one one is let's make sure we're all in agreement here. So that the message given to the audience is consistent with what we're looking at—that's only fair. You get a voice, and we don't get a voice. That's only fair. Well, I, whether it's fair or not, that job is to make good TV, and having the announcers and the administration coinciding is not. It's just not. Which why I didn't think that meeting should take place. You guys don't. We we don't. We don't need to agree. Controversy creates cash. That's the truth. If you're looking to make a good pro, who told you to get this meeting together? There's no way this was signed off on. Why are you guys having this meeting? By the way, if you have the meeting, who's leading the conversation? Because you will have experts, of which John Annick is. He's an absolute expert. Who's seen more fights than John? Who's sitting and analyzed more fights than John? Literal question. You got an answer? Hard one. But he doesn't have the license they do. So who's leading that meeting? I don't see the upside. I also don't know if I think Judging's all that bad. Sometimes I do get curious. What did you see? How did we come to this conclusion? When you came to vastly different conclusions and you got to the back, what happened? Did everybody grab their code and they go home? Or is there a conversation for you to tell us what you saw within the interpretation? I would like that. That would just make me feel good. I like to know that there's preview and I like to know that guys are watching stuff. But that's a comment, I'm trying to explain it. I would like to know what you think. Is this the worst era in judging in MMA or is it just a little bit more topical right now? Oh, they don't know what they got, guys. They don't know what they got. This is, this is very uncommon, but this does happen in the UFC. So, Robert Whittaker, Paulo Costa. Now, I'm interested in that fight. I've more than disclosed for you guys that I care about Paulo Costa, that I had a relationship with him going back to 2014. I thought that was the main event. I didn't understand that till today. Paulo Costa just did an interview. And I don't want to get the contract dispute that that Paulo's having because I wish Paulo nothing but well. But, Paulo was on Ariel's show talking about the contract disputes. He was talking about that fight. He's talking about, hey, Hunter Campbell, I'll still fight the guy. I'll still fight the guy. I don't have a problem with the opponent. I just have a problem with the numbers. Okay, great. Set that aside because I don't don't cast any opinion. I'm sharing with you. It was in this moment that I realized that fight was going to be in Perth. Well, wait a minute. Perth? Paulo Costa versus Robert Whitaker. I mean, that jumps off the page at me. Off the page. That is a main event. Matter of fact, I saw a poster of it. I saw a poster over it which confirms it's a main event. Well, no, not so fast. Sometimes feature matches get their own poster. Apparently, that's what happened here. That was going to be in Perth, which means it was going to be not a main event. I'm about to ask you guys a question. Do you want to see Robert Whitaker fight Paulo Costa? Do you agree that is going to be a bludgeoning for the ages? Yes. Okay, great. Now, I'm going to ask you one more question. Do you want to see that for a potential 25 minutes or 15? I'm going to get different answers. You want a better fight, you see it for 15. I'm going to get different answers, but I'm just sharing with you. I thought that was a feature match. I thought this was one that's been pissed back on as a leverage point to the entire card that I'm headlining. And by the way, I'm going to do it with Whitaker in his backyard, which is going to be great for business. I thought that this was the leverage standpoint. Now I find out it's in Perth. That's not even a main event. This is the second time that fight has been scrapped. The first time was going to be on an ABC card, and up being Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater, just to put a perspective for you time-wise. But that was going to be Whitaker versus Paula Costa. It was going to be a main event. So when they remade it, I assumed it would be a main event. I'm wrong. A feature match. Not to mention on that card, back to Perth, they're looking to do, and I realize this isn't done either, but they're looking to do Aljamain Sterling, Henry Cejudo. So now you got two title fights top of the bill. Let me come back to my initial point. They don't know what they have. Volkanovsky versus Islam Makhlachev is quite possibly the biggest fight in UFC history. Now, to have a big fight in UFC history, you've got to have a big buildup and you've got to have two guys with pretty good voice boxes. I understand that history says that, boxing supports that. But you have another category, right? You have the purist. The purist is a real thing. I got a lot of purist in me. Even though I come out and tell you, hey, there's a little way to shuffle the deck here. I got a lot of purist in me. So let's go from the purist category. And I would like to challenge you to show me a fight. So now we're going on paper, right? That's what that means. When we're pure, we're going on paper. We're going on resumes. I'd like you to show me a fight in the history of the UFC that is bigger than this. I think you'd have a hard time. What is Islam? Top of my head he's 17 and 1. If I'm wrong, he's 16 and 1. And what is Volkanovski? He's 14 and 0. It's impossible to know what 16 plus 14 is. It's impossible to figure out what 1 and 0 is, but it sounds like you got a combined record of roughly 30 to 1. Show me a time you put two guys in the ring that had a combined record of 30 to 1. I don't think you can do it. Now you're going to be cut into a very small category right from jump street. When it's champion versus champion, you just haven't seen a lot of that. So you're going to bring in the big fights. You're going to bring in the Conor McGregor versus Eddie Alvarez. You're going to bring in, which look good on paper, by the way. That'd be a contender. You're going to bring in the Stipe versus Daniel Cormier. Part one. You're going to be talking about George St. Pierre versus Michael Bispo. You're talking about Henry Cejudo versus TJ Dillashaw. I mean, throw a few at me, guys. What do you got here? Manda Nunes versus Juliana Pena, part two. Bet you never thought of that one, did you? I'm just sharing with you, you instantly on paper go into a very small category to start with. So my statement of this is going to be one of the biggest fights in UFC, I'm I'm already right just to make the statement because the category is so small. Now, I want you to go a little bit further. Show me a combined record of roughly 30 wins and one loss. Show me a time in UFC history that you had the number one pound-for-pound guy in the world taking on the number five pound-for-pound guy in the world. This is a colossally large match. This doesn't have the voice boxes. But neither did Tyson versus Spinks. They had help. The media, the pundits, people told the story for them. It was a surprise. It was a gift. It fell into their lap. But it also went down at that time, which I believe was 1988. Could have been 87, it could have been 99. I remember where I was. I was in Miss Eiler's class at Wood Middle School. I just can't remember the year, and I will share with you that went down at that time as the biggest boxing fight of all time for the purse. It was it brought in the most money of any heavyweight fight in all time. That surpassed the entire Muhammad Ali era. At that point in time, it had surpassed the George Foreman era. He came back even after that. I, I'm just sharing with you. like It won some massive competition, and you couldn't tell me one thing that Spinks did. You couldn't tell me without looking it up if it was Leon Spinks or Michael Spinks. But the media told the story. It was absolutely impressive. Somebody's O has to go. It's a fascinating story. It never stops working. These guys have something on the line that they've agreed to. And we need to make sure we tell the story. Islam is going to put up the world title. Volkanovsky is going to put up a number one pound for pound ranking. That's real. And I thought it was a beautiful and brilliant, I think it was on accident, right? When you say things are brilliant, it usually has to be strategic and the guy has to know ahead of time. I think that he stumbled into this, but either way by Volkanovski, I gotta give him full credit. We're Gonna fight for Islam's belt, we're gonna fight for my ranking. Now both guys got skin in the game. And if the UFC was trying to book Henry and Aljo that night, the UFC was bringing in just as a supporting cast, Robert Whitaker, one half of the biggest gate in UFC and in MMA history, and he did it right there in Australia, one half of that they're bringing in, versus the Terminator. That's a beautiful, powerful man coming off a big win, right? Business he had with Rockhold, that's a big, big fight, and that's just going to be a supporting cast. My God, they don't know what they have. That's interesting to me, because that's only happened a couple of times. You want to know a knight that did double business? Did double what was projected. It was Diaz, Nick, versus George St. Pierre. The PR team kicked in information that they had for their algorithm and kicked out and spit out a projection. But Nick didn't do any media. So that algorithm gets thrown off. Completely thrown off. You can't turn to interviews. You can't turn to Google searches. You can't turn to Yahoo's. Nick didn't even show up for the press conference, but they thought this was going to hurt him and fed into the formula. Thought he was going to do 3.5, comes back doing 6.50. Double in one night what you thought. I'm just sharing with you, sometimes you don't know what you have. This is a massive fight. Are you guys with me on this? The world championship is being put up the number one pound-for-pound testament, which one do you think is better? You tell me, because Volk's got them both right now. Volk is the world champion and the number one ranked guy and completely undefeated. He is taking on the world champion, nearly undefeated, number five ranked guy. You tell me who's taking the bigger risk. Not to mention he's going to do it in Perth. Not to mention he's going to do it the first time in his weight class. This is the biggest fight in UFC history, at least on paper. Now, you got to win another category, right? You got to win culture, you got to win the media war. But it has been done before where you had two guys that just didn't have that skill set and the media did it for them. And I'll show you a year called 1988, roughly. I'll show you Sphinx versus Tyson. Biggest fight in history and the media did it for them. I'll tell you what, I'm going to do my part. This is the biggest fight in history. I'm just realizing right now when I realize they tried to book the Terminator versus Robert Whitaker, they don't know what they have. Sugar Sean, guys, what headspace is he in? You guys know Sean, you guys following Sean, what do you got here? Because I don't have it figured out. tell you what I'm talking about. Sugar Sean has come out recently. Okay, I'm going to throw a few things at you, but they're all within the the, the last 96 hours. Sugar Sean has come out and said, I'm going to do nothing but wrestling. I'm going to prepare. I don't know if I'm fighting Cejudo. I don't know if I'm facing Aljo. I just know they're both strong wrestlers. I'm going to spend all my time on grappling. Just by example, number one ranked guy. It looks as though we got a little round robin. Henry, Aljo gonna go figure their business out. Sean waiting in the wings. That's what it looks like. And when you have someone like Sean, who's a number one contender, not to mention the way that he got it, I mean, he's a big underdog to lose to Jan. He's ranked number 10 in the world. I don't think anybody's gone from 10 to 1 with a win, not to mention the decision was highly controversial. None of this is to fault Sean, it's to celebrate. Sean, whoa, there's something here. The guy needs to be go fight for belts. This is a main event guy where we got to use him. And I only say that because I think that supports and lends to the idea that Sean go work on that grappling, but that he wait for Aljo and Henry. Now, that generally is never done. As a matter of fact, off the top of my head, I could give you one example where that ever has been done. Ever. I could give you one example where a guy was put in the batter's box to wait the championship fight was out here, and then he was going to come in. It was Ngannou versus Stipe part two. Gano knocked out Rosenstruck. Daniel White said, man, I ain't putting no one else in there with him. Guy's fighting for the belt. But Daniel and Stipe still had like two months to get to their date. So Ngannou was waiting around, but I'm just sharing for you. It was meant as a reward. It was meant as, hey, you've done enough. Hold off. But I think that that's what we're doing with Sean because I don't have a better idea. Is that great evidence by me? Okay, great, but it also sounds, and Sean's the one that's leading me to believe this. We got Henry, we got Aljo. Coming out and confirming that they are going to fight next. We got the media getting around it. We're all starting to settle in, and then it slips to us. Now that fight's not signed. Why not? I don't have a conspiracy. Why not? Why wouldn't that be signed? a contract issue? Is this a money issue? Is this an USADA issue? There's some red tape there. Why not? Do we not have a venue? Why is that fight not signed? I don't know the answer to that. I'd like to know. But if that fight isn't signed, should Sean be campaigning for it? And that is an interesting question. I had a phone call earlier. This is based on a phone call I had with my buddy Ryan. And Ryan is telling me, yeah, I think he should be going for it. I go, well, if we look at it from all sides... Okay, you got two really hard fights in front of you. You got a kickboxer and Sean. I get that he's well rounded, all these different things. He's even saying he needs to work on his grappling. Okay, great. You got a kickboxer. He's going to have to go deal with a grappler or he's going to have to deal with two grapplers. Depends how he plays it. If Sean was to step in right now and go with Aljo and get the jump on him, Sean now gets drawn into by Henry. He's got to go deal with both of them. If Sean waits for those two to eliminate one of them, Sean slides in and gets the belt. The one that got beat isn't going to come in for the belt. You can eliminate one of the wrestlers if that's one of your concerns. I'm just throwing that at you. If that's not a concern, but I'm sharing it is very different. And what order you go in is very, very different. It's a very different outcome. It's very different preparation. It's different on who your matchups are going to be, right? The fighter's job is to come out and advertise to the world, I only want to take on the best guys. I only want... No, man, your job's to get the most money and the easiest fight at all times. That's hard to do. That's a hard game to do. But that is still the game that you're playing at all times. So if you can avoid one of the wrestlers when you're saying you need to work on your wrestler, might be smart. I don't know that Sean's thinking that. I don't know that Sean's... I don't think Sean cares. Sean's won me over. Going into fighting Peter Yan, you know what a hard task that is in that position on that continent at that time. He's ranked number 10. He's going to take on the number one ranked guy. Please, you tell me somebody else that's done that heavy of lifting to put it all on the line to do that. A, a spread of 10. Tell me somebody else that's done that. Oh, Sean went out and did and by the way, he found success. He's won me over. I'm not questioning any of that, but I have been a little bit surprised confused face. When I see that Henry versus Aljo isn't done, I'm getting that information from Sean. Sean's putting pieces on social media. Sean's doing podcasts that I'm my My source is Sean, so he's well aware of this fact, but he hasn't tried to insert himself. Hey, if that fight's not done, screw it. Don't do that fight. Here's the sugar show. I'm ready. He's not done that, and Sean is extremely tactical. Sean does not get credit for that because you guys don't understand that, but when his story is done and his career is over, you're going to look back and go, my God, that guy planned everything out. He planned it out three steps ahead, and he did, and he's not calling for that fight. I'm left to guess why. Is it because, let them eliminate each other. Then there's a built-in product that you get a little bit of a break. Now, that break doesn't mean it's time on the couch with your feet up. It means that Sean's already told us what he's going to do. In the meanwhile, he's going to work on his grappling. It sounds like he's got his plan all done. And when, once you get a plan, once you get a plan and you think it's going to work, it's very hard to deviate from that. All of a sudden, we're not fighting in seven months. We're fighting in two and a half. That's a massive swerve. Not to mention, what is the problem with the the, the Henry and Aljo fight? It's a very fair question by me. I mean, just imagine there's a scenario. This isn't what's happening. I'm, I'm I'm trying to make a point here. Imagine there's a scenario where that fight is being held up and it's being held up by Aljo which would be much more likely of the two, with what leverage would Sohuto have to hold up a fight? He's been begging and clamoring for a match. They're going to bring him right into a world title fight. I mean, that's one of those things where you get down on your knees, you you think God and heaven above, you sign the contract with your mouth shut. That's one of those situations. So if this fight's being held up, if I had to guess, I'm making stuff up with her, guys. I don't have any evidence. But if I had to guess, it would be on Aldo's side. Well, how many times have we seen a situation like that happen? And we just move on with it. We, we get a poster that drops, and we get an announcement on Sports Center. It's going to be Cejudo versus Sugar Sean for the interim championship. Guys, we've seen this. We've seen this movie play out many, many times. We've seen this. So I've got to go back to what is holding up Henry and Aljo. Could be on Henry's side. Been difficult to work with for the last two years. Matter of fact, they haven't worked with him for the past two years. Matter of fact, the championship he's coming back to win is a championship that he never lost. Took the thing off and threw it down, said Cejudo out. So there's a number of different answers. There's a number of, uh, of different reasonable hypothesis, right? A hypothesis being an, uh, an educated guess, a guess based on information. Great, I'm using history as my trajectory to the future. I could see this on both sides, but if it is from Aljo, how long is that game going to be played until we get on with it in the form of Arizona versus Arizona, former champion versus number one contender, Sugar Sean versus Henry Suhuda. Do you see where I'm going with this? Like, we need some resolution. And the only piece that we haven't seen before this really drums up and we have some fun drama is Sean inserting himself and making the demand, give me my opportunity. Sean has not done that yet. Because he hasn't done that, we haven't done that. It's a dead issue. It's a non-topic. He's buying a little time. Those two can still get things worked out. But how much time do they have? And what is it that they're working out? Call at BJPin.com. Headline Connor versus Nate part three seems inevitable as stars trade barbs online. Now, I think a lot of you would agree with that, wouldn't you? And I know I would have, but that's past tense. I would have. I mean, let's take a good look at that from all but from all angles okay? Because we always take a look at it from one, which is the promotions. Is this good for business? And you, you must understand that. That's a concept that we generally resist, but it's a concept that we must accept when you're dealing with Connor, because whatever Connor does next will not be a title fight. It will not be a title elimination fight, but you can bet your ass it'll be a main event of a pay-per-view. And if there's a champion fighting that night, he won't be fighting last. Okay, great. So we get that it's good business. You're not wrong to look at it that way and checks all the boxes. But hold on just a second. Nate Diaz is not under contract with the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Conor McGregor is. So how you get those guys together to start with is problematic. Secondly, Conor McGregor, to our understanding, is a 155-pounder. Nate Diaz is a 170-pounder. So how you get those guys together is problematic. Now, you have to correct me. Not only have we done it, we've done it twice. Yeah, but let's take a look at that. We have done it twice, haven't we? And who won? Well, Connor won. Connor won the second one, the last one. Seems like an important one to win. Diaz won the first one. Oh, by the way, it was a finish on short notice. That seems like a pretty cool thing to have, right? Pretty cool feather in your cap. So if you were in these guys' spots, what are you fighting for? And I don't think that anybody's stood back to look at it from that perspective. What is it that you would have to gain? What are we fighting for? We're fighting because you barbed at me on Twitter? Okay, fair enough. Like, a lot of fights start that way. We're fighting because this isn't settled. It's one apiece. look a little bit closer. Do you want to settle that? I mean, be real sure. It looks real cool on TV to go out and do the quick draw. But what if you're the slower guy? It's a hell of a consequence. And he thought of it from that perspective. Why would either guy want to risk that? Now, there might be an answer, and maybe they do. But I don't feel that it's a way that anybody has looked at it. Put yourself in their shoes. You're one and one. You're dead even. You both have beautiful legacies, beautiful time in the sport, beautiful memories together. So if we're going to go out and we're going to fight, this is a quick draw, and one of us is going to lose a lot. That one win that I had before, it's erased. I lost the battle. We made it a two out of three. I lost. The end. Do you want that risk? If you do, for what? And again, there could be an answer, but the word was, it seems inevitable. And I think at one point, I went down that road, but at this point, Nathan Diaz is not under contract with the Ultimate Fighting Championship. It's extremely relevant. And please, please don't be the guy in the room that raises his hand and says, but he can sign it today. I, I understand those things, but look at the kind of fight that you're making. Look at the magnitude with on that fight. The winner of that fight is very unlikely to ever fight again. I don't know that Conor or Nate are a guarantee to fight again, let alone each other, but once you have that win, and you're right, it's a big fight, it's a good night of business, big old payday, you're not guaranteed to ever get that person back, which makes it unlikely for a typical Dana White play. Now you're playing checkers one night only. That's just not the way for 21 years that he's played. He's played the game different, which is chess. I'll put this match together, put a whole bunch of money, marketing, and work behind it. But I not only get this match, I then get another one. And sometimes when I do my job great, I get with both guys. Both guys, stock goes up, right? I mean, that's the business. So I I don't know how much I'm predicting that Nate's going to come back on a one-off. And I don't know how bad those guys want to fight each other. I don't like you and I think I can beat you. That's a real thing. But getting there and actually settling a beef, which is settled. You go to a trilogy fight when it's a true trilogy. We throw that term out a little bit in this industry when it's fight number three. Oh, it's a trilogy. Not really. Trilogy also comes with a, an impression. It's a colloquialism at times. Which means of the first two fights, we split. We split. And Gano versus Stipe would be a fine example. Well, Connor versus Nate is a fine example. But I'm sure for you, if you go to part three, you've now changed the terms of the deal. The deal is now, it's a two out of three. So now it's not I beat him and he beat me. You lose completely. I don't know if that's a big deal to keep anybody away from it. I'm just offering you that it's a perspective that maybe you haven't considered. And I have to assume... When the author of the piece said it seems ine- inevitable, he is talking about within the USC, Because we heard that rumor on Nate, right? You guys know I've never asked him, by the way. If I called Nate right now, I believe that he would entrust me enough to tell me if I said, hey, what are you doing? Red Akimoto reported five days before your last contest, which was supposed to be against Jemai, that you were going to apply for your promoter's license in California within the week. That was like five or six months ago, and that just didn't happen. There's talk of Floyd Mayweather. By the way, right, like Nate's got options. I'm just sharing with you, if you think Nate is going to bring in Connor and do this as a part, right? I think we have to agree and know that that's going to happen within the Ultimate Fighting Championship or it doesn't happen at all. It's not the kind of play that Dana generally would make. And put yourself in that spot because I don't think you've considered it. Why would you want to risk that? For what? What is on the line? A little bit of prestige, a little bit of money versus a whole lot of this was a seven-year feud and I lost. I think it needs to be considered. I don't think that fight is inevitable. In fact, if I was to go a step further, I don't think that fight's going to happen. All right, guys. I've had it with you all. Enjoy your weekends. Enjoy your holiday. Drive careful out there. A lot of snowstorms going on, including the one we got right here in Oregon. Guys, we will be back next Tuesday. Until then, happy holidays, everyone. I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.